We look together in God's Word this morning in Second Peter uh, chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. We'll read uh, verses uh, 1 through 15, and this evening we will, uh, Lord willing, uh, look at the second part of this uh, text, but we'll read it in its entirety here at this time. People of God, hear the revealed, infallible, inerrant word of our God, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. People of God, that reading of uh, God's word. People of God, in this passage of Scripture, Simon is the bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And there is an amazing declaration here, and it it kind of has a theme uh, within this uh, chapter and, in fact, the book. And and that theme is this, that as God uh, gave the apostles what he gave to them, uh, including that very first gift that he gives to them, namely faith, 
this in this, to those who obtained a faith, uh, the apostle declares that the faith of uh, those that God is working in is of equal standing with ours. It's an equal standing with the apostles. Now, that didn't mean that every believer had every the, the same calling to every situation in life. There was an apostolic calling, but the fundamental relationship that we have with God, a relationship that is by faith, that relationship reflects a faith that is both apostolic and believer, and it is the same faith. And then there is this pattern within the first chapter and throughout the book that what God has given to the apostles, he has given to his church. Not in exactly the same way. Uh, the word of God comes to the church, and that is the same word that came to the apostles, although it comes to the apostles through divine inspiration, and it comes to us through inscripturation, the writing down of that word. But we have the same word, and we have the same faith in the same promises from the same God. And there is not this radical difference between an apostolic Christian, an apostle's Christian life and our Christian life. We say, well, there looked like a lot of difference to me. But the apostle says it's the same faith. And that faith is then focused on and rooted and grounded upon the work of God, a work that is given in the context of blessing, the context of blessing. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That grace and that peace. This blessing is bestowed. It is declared. Uh, There are times when, when I've had Uh, parishioners, uh, members of the church, brothers and sisters, they say to me, what is this blessing we have as we begin this greeting and this benediction? What is that? Is it a prayer? Should I close my eyes and should I bow my head? Uh, Is it a sermon? It is a proclamation? It is something fairly unique it is a proclamation and it is a, a blessing of God bestowed. It is a means, as is preaching, a means of God bestowing upon us his blessing. It is a unique thing uh, in Scripture, uh, this blessing uh, that God gives It is from God, may the grace, may the grace or the grace be bestowed. It is rooted and grounded in an apostolic word, in the word of God. It's the word of God to us. There's many other ways in which the word comes to us, but this is the word of God coming to us in divine favor bestowed, divine word given. And of course, that is rooted in 
Old Testament experience and and command to the people of God. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. That Old Testament blessing of God. But in that context, this is what God says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The name of God is put upon us in the blessing of God. Now, there are many and various ways in which uh, those uh, blessings are recorded in Scripture. And I do not believe that uh, there is a one uh, blessing that's given. The Old Testament was pretty clear. The Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, And we follow that pattern. I use that blessing. I'm sure that's been used here. Uh, We also have in the New Testament numerous greetings and blessings. So there isn't a, a one blessing that we have to use all the time. But oftentimes, it's my name is put upon you. And in one of the fullest of the New Testament blessings, you have uh, the blessing of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Or Revelation chapter 1, you have the seven spirits and you have the I am, the, the one who is the beginning and the end. And so you have Trinitarian blessing. It's the name of God. It is being put upon you. It is a, a work of God. It is particularly tied in Scripture to the, uh, in the Old Testament. It was tied to the priest bringing the blessing of God upon the people. Uh, we, we tend to think that this is something unique, and, and we have it. You children, you know what this is, right? At the beginning, and the, and the minister, he puts his hand up, and, and, uh, and there are others who, uh, and I would do this at the end. I put two hands up doesn't make a whole lot of difference, whether it's one or two. I put one up in the morning because it's kind of a greeting. Put two up at the end. It's the ending. Not sure why. No, no particular fundamental reason there. But it is a unique thing. It is God putting his name upon you. And we ought to see that. And, and we have seen that as a, a unique expression of, of the context of the worship of God's people. It's the blessing confirmed as the people of God gather. And so it would be that in the Word, as Peter writes to particular groups of Christians and the other New Testament books, it is the blessing and there's a benediction. Uh, and that is a fairly basic pattern, not in every instance, but in most instances of the New Testament books. It is God working on us. It is God declaring, I am your God. You are my people. And so this is the blessing of God conferred. Now that blessing in the context of our scripture, may grace and peace be with you. Very reflective of the Old Testament Numbers passage but this is the grace and peace, grace, that undeserved mercy flowing out of divine love to lost sinners, or grace, uh, that's God's riches at Christ's expense, uh, a gift 
It is, may the grace be uh, multiplied to you, but it is in the context of the fact that this grace is a gift. The very word grace itself has within it the, 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 the meaning and the flow of a gift, a gift. That, that's part of the word itself. When you think of grace, you should always think of gifted grace. It's a part of the meaning of the word, God's grace. And so it is that we recognize that this is uh, the, the blessing of God, the grace of God coming to us, uh, in, in, imparted to us. We respond with gratitude, grace, and peace. Well, peace uh, within the context of the Old Testament and New Testament and New Testament words take on the Old Testament. You may have heard of the Old Testament word for peace. It is shalom. And and that word uh, is just a lack of conflict between two parties. But that word shalom and this peace of God is, is is a place of wholeness and fullness. It is the place in which God's people experience uh, contentment and they are able to withstand all of that which comes against them because they are in a fundamental relationship of peace with God. Yes, we have uh, peace, first of all, with God. Peace replacing the enmity and the wrath and the judgment of God against us and our rebellion against Him. And there's peace with God. There is peace. We need the peace of, a, of mind, that we need a, a, a mind that is at peace and not filled with turmoil. Peace with one another as brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ and peace to as great a degree as possible with the, with the world. We would want the peace, the shalom of God. Grace and peace be multiplied, be multiplied. That's an introductory word to, to a theme of the, of the chapter. There's multiplied grace and peace and there's multiplied, uh, and in that context, we are those who multiply in the context of how we live before God. That's the second sermon. That's tonight's sermon. We'll talk about multiplying, growing in grace and in knowledge. But there is a given knowledge that begins with, because grace and peace is multiplied to us in the knowledge uh, there is a doc- declaration in many contexts, and it goes something like this. Doctrine divides. Doctrine destroys. Well, the Word of God says that knowledge of God and of our Lord and of Jesus our Lord, that, that grace and peace is multiplied to us in as we are in Knowledge. Knowledge is not opposed to godly living. It is essential for godly living. We receive the grace and the peace of God in the context of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and knowledge of God. 
God as a triune God, uh, which was part of your confession of sin. Knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, which was part of your confession of sin. Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Knowledge in the context of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. How could grace and peace be multiplied to us if we had no knowledge of Jesus Christ on the cross? It would be impossible. We need the gospel. We need the truth of who God is. We need the truth of who Jesus is to spur us, to motivate us, to even have grace and peace flow into us in the context of being in the knowledge of our Lord, of God, and our Lord, and of Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord. And so this knowledge is absolutely essential. That's why the psalmist would declare, I have stored up your word in my heart. Uh, We have the knowledge of God's word. I don't know if you children have ever heard or thought of the, uh, I was taught uh, 40-some years ago uh, as I was uh, being discipled about a hand illustration about the Word of God. You know that hand illustration? Uh, It is that we need to hear the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to read the Word of God. We need to memorize the Word of God. And in connection with every one of those, we need to meditate on the Word of God. So you need to meditate with the hearing and the studying and the memorizing and the reading of the Word of God. All those elements are part of it. We are people of the Word, people of knowledge, and so we are people who are, have a, a knowledge about, about Jesus and about God, Jesus our Lord. Uh, three times in the blessing of, of Aaron, the word Lord is mentioned. In the New Testament, it declares that the Spirit is Lord and Jesus is Lord and the Father is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, there are one lords. Why was it the Aaron, that the blessing of Aaron mentioned Lord three times? We see that as that shadow revelation concerning uh, the very Trinity itself. We grow, we see the connections in Scripture concerning who God is, what God has done, who we are. And it is this God who in his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, including his blessing. That is one of the things, (coughs) but not, of course, the only thing. He has given us, his divine power has granted to us all things. Now, if you're looking at the passage of Scripture in 2 Peter, uh, you might be mindful of this, uh, that uh, there are pronouns all over the place in this passage. Uh, he, he begins, uh, to those. Uh, so now Paul, and pa- and the, uh, as an apostle of Jesus Christ and an, as a representative of the apostles, is making a distinction between him and those who are receiving the word, although they have the same faith. And be multiplied to you in verse 2. But in verse 3, his his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
which he in verse 4, he, he has granted to us his precious and promise, his great promises. But then it says that through them you may become partakers. Somewhat difficult to find, to determine if when Paul is talking about us, he's referring to the church and himself and all of the other apostles, or whether he's referring just uh, to the, uh, or uh, when he says us, he's referring just to the apostles. But there's such an interweaving of the themes here that it hardly makes a difference, if I could say that, because the focus is on what we all share in common. So certainly there is a special way in which God granted to the apostles, to Paul and the apostles, the precious promises that he has given. He has granted to them this through the through the revelation of God's word, the inspiration of the word, as apostolic prophets who have received a divine word miraculously, directly, that apostolic word comes. We receive it, as we said, inscripturated. They received it inspired. But we all now have it in the word. And so what the apostles were either given or what we all received together, we ultimately all received together, namely the promises, namely all that is necessary, all things that pertain to life and godliness through his divine power. His divine power has granted. This is one of the only places in the New Testament and in fact, of all of Scripture that uses this particular word, divine. It is an unusual word, uh, and it is definitely focused on deity, on godness. It's a godness power. In other words, God had to have this kind of divine power in order to grant to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we know that that divine power has come, has come from God the Father. God the Father. It is through that power, it has been gifted to us. In 2 Peter 1 8, and we'll look at this more closely this evening, Lord willing, it says, if these qualities are yours and increasing, well, How do you even get them? How do you know that they're yours? Because you've been gifted them by God. You've been gifted by God. And so the divine power is absolutely necessary. How else could the dead be raised, the dead in sin be raised to new life except by a divine power at work? is divine power. Not just a weak power, but a power that is almighty, that, that is greater than any other power and makes every other power look as if it is nothing. It is strength. It is the omnipotent, all-powerful power that is absolutely necessary for us to be gifted with all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, we could probably have 20 sermons on all things, the word all things, because 
uh, that is such a broad expression and meant to be so. But it's all things once again then given. Once again, we see in the text an emphasis on the fact that as grace itself has within it the concept of gift, now we see it emphasized again in verse 3. It is, he has been granted, and the word granted is the word gifted, a free gift. And this isn't a gift that comes to you and someone comes to you and he says, well, I will give you a million dollars. All you have to do is take it out of my hand. No, this is actually that you open up your bank account and there's a million dollars in it. It's gifted to you. You have it. It is a act of power and grace and mercy and effectiveness. It takes place. God accomplishes it. He gifts it to you. We could think of the very first nature of that gift is when a person is born again, when they come to life in Christ. And how does the Scripture describe it? They described it as someone who, is, who has been dead and been raised, who is blind and they see, who is deaf and now they hear. It is someone who's been walking in darkness and now there's light. These are the, this is the declaration of something that has been gifted, gifted. There are some who think that uh, the, the basic and foundational approach and that we would have in, in terms of all that we have in Christ is that he's offered and we have taken. And certainly the offer goes out. We declare, repent, believe. And if you've never been baptized, be baptized repent and believe in the promises that God has already given to you in baptism if you've been baptized. But we recognize that the repentance, the the ability to see the promise, to hear the promise, to see Christ on the cross, to embrace him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all our mind, that comes because of a gracious gift that is given. It is the difference between someone who's dying of a heart attack on the ground and you come to them and you say, I am just an expert in having to solve this problem here. So I'm just going to offer to you this uh, possibility of me giving you CPR. And the person is basically out. They can't talk. They can't function. And you're sitting there offering them the possibility of you doing CPR on them. I think most people who knew CPR and they saw this, they would just go down and help the guy. They would give him a gift. They would do it. That's God. He comes to us in our heart failure, and he gives us a heart transplant. Not just CPR, but a transplant. But it is a gift that is given by divine power. But it pertains to life and godliness. To life and godliness. Jesus said when he declared 
in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then picking up in verse 27 of John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I am the life giver. And Jesus Christ comes. God the Father works The Holy Spirit moves. And we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 21 says it this way. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21 They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever, corrupt, for whatever overcomes a person so that he is uh, enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. The knowledge Now we come back to knowledge. We have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have been granted the blessings of God again through knowledge, through a call, through a call. The the apostles had a call. Paul had a call. But the call is the great theme. We are called. That's why the word goes out. You are called. And the calling of God and the inner calling and the outward calling of the preaching of the word go hand in hand. But we are called by God. And it's an effectual call. It is a a call. It's a divine call. It's an effectual. In other words, a call that works. It's a knowledgeable call. It's a powerful call. It is a grace-filled call. It is a life-giving call. Called of God. And so the question is, do you hear the call of God today? Do you know the blessing of God today? Are you trusting? Do you have that faith, that apostolic, the the faith, the same faith the apostles had? And do your eyes rest upon Christ? Do your ears hear the word of God? Does your mind focus on the wonders of the glories of all that is given to us in Christ as the called ones, as the ones saved by grace? Feast upon the promises of God, the great and precious promises through which we become 
those who have fellowship with God himself, the God who blesses us, the God who calls us, the God who gives us all things necessary for life and godliness. Hear the call. Know the promises. Trust in God. Amen. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we ask, O God, that you would so move in us that we might know the great work of salvation that you have given us. Father, that you have called us that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, that you have given us great and precious promises. O Lord, may our mind be filled with the promises, and may we then, O God, respond, respond with a life of godliness growing in grace and in knowledge. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.